We're coming, you know, to the real climax of the book now because God's speaking to Job. This is what he's been wanting all along. I don't think he anticipated what it would involve when he actually gets to hear from God. Job had been desiring to be vindicated from false accusations, but in the midst of desiring that vindication, he had said some things that were dishonoring to God and uh, really showed a, a, um, a deficiency in his faith, which I think is ultimately why God allowed this whole incident to happen. There were purposes here beyond what Job realized, certainly, and certainly beyond what his friends realized. We have seen that the prior speaker, this man Elihu, paved the way here for God to speak. Basically, what he did was point to God and point out the greatness and majesty of God to Job and also point out some of Job's failings uh, in questioning God's righteousness and justice. As we concluded last time, we said that quite possibly Elihu and Job were in the presence of an approaching storm even as the conversation was going on. And so we see the first thing that when God begins to speak, he does that from a whirlwind. And so although it's a very extended section, I thought before we looked at some of these questions that were on the handout, I'd just read the section to kind of get us in the uh, mindset of what we're looking at and hopefully help us as we seek to understand this passage and, and answer some of these questions. But So we're in Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Who, who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garments and thick dark darkness its swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no further, and here shall your proud waves stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it, it is changed like clay under a seal, and they stand forth like a garment. And from the wicked their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? 
have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place, that you may take hold of its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided, or the east wind scattered on the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the flood, or a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land without people? on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come forth the ice and the frost of heaven, who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Can you bind the the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and they say to you, Here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being? or has given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heavens when the dust hardens into a mass and the clouds stick together? Can you hunt the prey of the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill, or do you know the time they give birth? They kneel down, they bring forth their young, they get rid of their labor pains, their offspring become strong, they grow up in the open field, they leave and do not return to them. Who set out the wild donkey free? Who set out the wild donkey free, and who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? to whom I gave the wilderness for a home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city, the shoutings of the driver he does not hear. He explores the mountain with his pasture. He searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you, or will he spend the night in your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in a furrow with ropes, or will you harrow the valets with you? Will you trust him because of his great strength and leave your labor to him? Will you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it from your thrashing floor? The ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinions and plumage of love, for she abandons her eggs in the earth and warms them in the dust, and she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She, She treats her young cruelly, as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom 
and has not given her a share of understanding. When she lifts herself up on high, she laughs at the horse and the rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrible. He paws the valley. He rejoices in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and does not dismay, and is not dismayed. And he does not turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the flashing spear and the javelin. With shaking and rage, he races over the ground, and he does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! And he scents the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the war cry. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the cliffs he dwells and lodges, upon the rocky crag and the inaccessible place. From there he spies out food, his eyes see it from afar. His young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is he. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer even twice, and I will not, and I will add no more. A panorama of nature here and a questioning of Job with questions that no man can answer. It's almost like God saying, these are the simple things, these are the very ABCs of, the, of what I do, and you don't understand them. You, don't, you can't even get to first base in understanding how I rule the world. So it's a, uh, a wonderful section to contemplate and consider what God is saying here to Job, which is why I handed out the sheets, because I just wanted you to kind of dig in a little deeper than just a quick reading. I hope that uh, at least you took some time to look through the sheet and, and think about the questions in relationship to this portion. So let's just take a little time here. Uh, the first question was, when God reveals himself to Job, how does he describe Job? Anyone want to start us off here? Okay. says he, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now let me just say something here to begin with. Some would... There would be a few commentators that would say uh, maybe he's not talking to Job here. Maybe he's talking about Elihu because of that chapter just ended. Or maybe he's talking about the friends. Um, it's possible that they were included in this, but I think the main person that he, he, he is addressing and who he's addressing that question to is Job. And the reason that we can say that for sure is because if you turn, we're getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but uh, if you turn over to 42, where Job again uh, answers God 
and is coming to the, the real deep repentance that God desired to bring him to, he quotes this. Uh, so you know he applied it to himself and that God meant it for him. You see at 42.3, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? So Job realized this was directed towards him. And what do you, uh, maybe let's just analyze the phrase a little bit. Darkening counsel with words without knowledge. What's that, what's that mean, to darken counsel with words without knowledge? Do we ever do this? <laughs> Go ahead, Suzanne. I don't know if I'm right, but can you take counsel as the decision of, and then to darken that? Yeah, I think that's the direction. I think it's the idea. Um, you've been given some truth, Job, but you can take that truth and darken it. You can obscure it through words without knowledge. And that's what's happened, partly from, from others, but also from the words that Job said. And I think we have to be careful about that, because if we tell ourselves the wrong thing enough, we'll start believing things that are wrong. Uh, we'll darken God's truth through words without knowledge. And I think that's what uh, Job was, uh, God was saying that Job had done. He had darkened counsel with words without knowledge. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me, this is not what Job was expecting. I mean, Job had asked all these questions. He wanted answers. God says, all right, I'm going to ask you some questions. So let's go on to the next question. Number two, what is the significance of God speaking out of the whirlwind? Now there's a number of things I think that should come to mind here, so... Um, what do you, anyone, the significance of God speaking out of the whirlwind? What do you think of when you think of a whirlwind and why would God speak out of the whirlwind? Well, that's true. Yeah, there's God's a spirit. Uh, so he would use some physical manifestation like that. All right, but why a whirlwind? Maurice. Right. That's what I think of when I think of a whirlwind. I think of power. Uh, God showing forth some of his, his attributes through this whirlwind itself. Um, if you think of a tornado, I mean, that's one of the main things that comes to mind, the, the, the power of this wind. Um, what else? It shows that he was upset. Um, yeah, I think that's probably included there. Um, since it would probably be somewhat of a terrifying uh, situation to be in. Uh, how about this? Let me give you a little clue here. What else happened because of a storm in the book of Job? Right. That I think there's some significance to the fact that this was the kind of thing <clears throat> that brought the death of his children. What else? There's another really big one. 
And this has to do with wind in general in the Bible. All right, that's a really big one. Uh, you see that a number of places in the Bible. Um, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about how the the work of the Spirit is like like the wind. No one knows where it's coming from, and yet God is working in people's hearts. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes. Uh, maybe even a better example of that is the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing, mighty wind. So you have God uh, working and speaking through uh, this external manifestation of his power, uh, the wind. So those were anything else on that? Maybe that's what I had. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's go on to number three. Job wanted answers from God as to why he was suffering. Instead of answers, God asked Job many profound questions. That's what he said. I'm going to ask you some questions, Job. In verse three, briefly list the various aspects of creation which God asked Job about in the first discourse. Now, there's various ways you could list these. You could go through each one of them, and maybe some of you did that. That's actually what I was thinking about when I uh, wrote the, the verse, because I just thought, well, if it got people into just going through and looking at each uh, thing that God mentions and each animal that God mentions, it would be worth just throwing that question in. But uh, there's also categories that come up. Maybe you, did anyone notice that? Uh, anyone want to name some of the categories that come up? Okay. Right. All right. You start out with creation, the, the creation, uh, the origin of the universe. He, he deals with that. Then he talks about the ocean and deals with that. Then he talks about uh, God's uh, providential care in the animal kingdom, and he goes through the various animals there. So uh, you could break it down a lot more <clears throat> more than that, but basically he starts out with the actual creation, uh, the origin of things, and then the, the big things like the ocean and the, 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 the day and night <clears throat> cycle, then he goes into uh, things related to storms uh, and the heavens above, and then the heavens a little closer to earth, the sky and the, uh, the clouds. And then he goes into the animal kingdom and deals with those <coughs> various animals that he brings up. Uh, so, well, that, that goes to the next question then. <coughs> What is the general tenor of what God is saying to Job through these questions? Now, that one should have been a good thought provoker. <clears throat> Maybe we'll get some different thoughts on that here. What's the general tenor of what God is saying through all these questions? What's he trying to teach Job?
Okay, his power. That's a big one. Yeah. Uh, God's omnipotent. Man is not. Uh, so we have power. What about what? What else besides power is brought out in these this section? Time. Time. All right. Yeah. You. You. Yeah. God's infinite, eternal, and you're very short-lived. Um, something else. Wisdom. Right. Power and wisdom. Those are the. Those are the big two. I think. You. You don't have the power to do this, and you don't have the wisdom to do this. Uh, put it in simple terms, God's much greater than us. God's much greater than Job. Uh, and I think he's saying that there's a lot of mystery yet to who I am. A lot of things you don't understand and maybe you'll never understand. Anyone else? The general thrust of what God's trying to get get across to Job in these in this section. Right. So that it's like a lot of it's what he said in the, the rest of it. It's like he, he took too high a position mm-hmm. against God. Mm-hmm. And God's saying, no, you're, you're way down here. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in terms of the questions that Job had asked? They're not relevant. They're not what? Relevant. Not relevant. Uh all right, that's for sure. Arrogant. They're definitely arrogant. There was a definite arrogance that came through. Um, it might mean that, Job, you're not even asking the right questions. Anyone else? Right, he didn't have, not, he didn't have the power to change things. God did. Let me read you what one person wrote on this. I thought it was pretty good. God is so much greater than us that his actions may be right even when they apparently don't seem right to us. I thought that was really good. See, that's what, that was Joe's problem. He thought, just because this doesn't seem right to me, it must not be right. But that's, that's saying, you know, we've got a perfect understanding of the situation, which we don't. If we had God's perspective on things, we'd see things a lot different. So, God's so much greater than us that his actions may be right, even when they are apparently not right to us. Well, all right, let's go on. How does Job respond to these questions? What's Job say? Yeah, he says a little bit, but not very much. Uh, he he recognizes his insignificance. He says, "I'm insignificant." 
What can I reply? And then he, he puts his hand over his mouth. He says, I've spoken once, even twice, and I'm not going to say any more. I think I've, I've already said too much, basically, is what he's saying. <clears throat> so, a beginning of a work in his heart uh, in relationship to understanding things better than he had in the past. A beginning, anyway. And that kind of goes into the next question. How is this different from the way he previously responded? I didn't put the verses on it. I just assumed you could look back and see how he'd, he'd responded to his friends. Uh, what's the difference? Right. And well, the big difference is just he always responded to his friends, and now he's silent. Now he said, I, I, I better keep quiet. He didn't take that position. Although with Elihu, because there was enough truth being presented there, uh, he didn't respond there either. And then, lastly, why do you think God continues to question Job after this response? Uh, this is a good question because it leads into the next section. Why do you think God didn't just drop it? I mean, he silenced Job. And Job recognizes he's insignificant. Suzanne. All right, so Suzanne says God knows man's heart, and he knew, God knew that there needed to be some more, some more work done. So he continues to speak. Uh, there was a beginning of a movement in the right direction, I think is the way to put it, and yet the work was not done, and God uh, was working to bring Job to a deeper realization than just that he should be silent and that he's insignificant before God. That's, that's uh, just the beginning of what needs to be done for Job. So God goes on and continues to question Job. Anything else on that last question? Which he always did before. Right. Right. Anything else from any of these questions before we go on here? that Job is using to question God are only his because of God. We have to, as Van Til said, you have to 
sit on God's lap in order to take a slap at him. We can't, it, we're, we're totally dependent upon God. Well, what, I, what I'm going to do to uh, conclude this evening is just take this section and kind of paraphrase it a little bit, uh, maybe bring out some things uh, in a little more detail uh, to hopefully give us a little feel, a little better feel for what we've just looked at. Job is confronted with the question, where did this universe come from? How did it originate? Who brought it into being? Did you do that, Job? What processes were used to bring that about? Now, those are questions that man's been asking for ages, the origin of the earth. And the reason they keep asking it is because they won't take God's word and what God's written on the heart and uh, they become wise in their own eyes and come up with all kinds of explanations that exclude God. But the fact is, just like God brought out to Job, you weren't there. So you don't know. He goes on to say, who got all the measurements of all this stuff and made them just right? Now, these, these words were not in Job's mind, but I'm just going to supply them. Who put all those gravitational forces in just the right places and all those electromagnetic forces and just the right distance and at just the right size for everything to be the way it is and for life to exist on earth. Who fine-tuned the universe? Who hung the earth on nothing out there in space at just the right place so that we wouldn't be ripped apart because of the gravitation of some other close planet, but just the right distance to just raise the tides so that we'd have the, the tides that we do on the earth. Where were you when all that was done, he says to Job. He goes on and he, he, talking about just the, the wonder of the harmony and the, the beauty of what he's made. When he, when he created, he says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. <coughs> What he's saying is, I think that's referring to the angelic realm, which is a created realm, but apparently they were at least aware of some of what God was doing in creation, and they sang together, it says. They broke. In other words, there was harmony. It speaks of harmony and melody in creation. The, 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 the uh, way everything fit together was right and good and and beautiful the way God made it. So then he goes on into the next section and he turns from just the, the universe in general and the earth to one of the main features of the earth, which is the, the sea. 
which covers three-fourths, approximately three-fourths of the earth is covered with, with water. What an incredible moment that must have been when God took this hydrogen and this oxygen and stuck it together at just the right proportion, and boom, here's water everywhere spreading across the face of the planet. But he didn't just let it spread everywhere. He put it within boundaries. He said, thus far you shall go and no further. I was listening to a guy today. He said, I think it's incredible that God uses sand, which is such a, you know, a shifting thing, to set up the boundaries of the ocean. <laughs> God says, that's as far as you go, no further. But what's down, what's down in that deep, Job? What, what's down there? Job, you know, all they knew was it was a frightening place with all kinds of sea creatures. And there are some pretty frightening ones down there even right now. And there's probably more that we haven't even found if we get down a little deeper and spend more time. But who's gone down into the recesses of the deep? Well, Job has to admit, I haven't been down there. I don't know. I don't think I want to go. Well, he didn't say that, but <laughs> he couldn't answer anyway. Who's the one who controls the dawn and the sunset? Who's the one who's able to make the sun come up just at the right place at each day of the year, a little different each day, to mark out the seasons through the year. Do you understand how light is produced? There's a good one. Now, you, you can dwell on that one. Many of these you could just, you could take a physics book and read through here and you'd realize we, st- we don't have the answer. Job didn't have the answers to this, and we don't either. Can you explain what it is? Can you explain what light is? Can you explain how to make it? Can you explain where it belongs? Can you take it where it belongs? God's, God's saying to Job, can you take light to where you want it and make it stay there and move it around the way you want to uh, and do the same with the darkness? And then he, you know, he actually uses, I guess, what you'd call a little divine sarcasm. He says, you know about this, don't you, Job? You were born then. The numbers of your years is great, which is another way of saying, well, you little pipsqueak. <laughs> what about some more common forces like a storm? Do you understand storms, Job? You're in one right now. The phenomena of a storm. Can you understand the snow and the hail and the wind and the rain and the thunder and the lightning? Can you make those things? Can you control those things? What about sending those things out into the desert where no man is? Nobody's watching over that, but I, I take care of all that. If I want to send a little rain out to some flower that you don't know anything about and water it, I do it. I do it all the time. I do it constantly out in the desert, things you're not even aware of. Man doesn't think about these things. He doesn't even see these things. They're out there in the wilderness. Man has enough trouble handling the things right in front of him, getting enough food on his table, let alone feeding and, and taking care of the plants and animals out in the desert. 
Well, do you understand the processes by which ice is formed? We see it happening all the time, but we just we don't realize how important it is that God made ice the way he did. Are you able to answer the question why water, when it freezes, does, not, does something that hardly any other substance does? Instead of contracting like normal substances do, water expands when it freezes. Most things expand when they get hot. Water expands when it freezes, which is very important. Otherwise, ponds would freeze from the bottom up and everything would be killed. But they freeze on top and the stuff can live underneath. Then he has him look up in the skies a little bit. What about the heavens? What about the stars? What about the constellations? And how I send them forth at just the right time. When spring comes, there's the Pleiades. When fall and winter come, there's Orion, the hunter. Can you lead them forth in their season, all the constellations that come at different times of year? Can you handle that? Can you... Have you fixed the orbits of the planets and set the galaxies in motion? Stars beyond our wildest imagination. As many stars as there are sands around the, the seashore of all the oceans. Or a little closer to home, what about the clouds? Do you send them forth? Do you put water in them? Can you dip out, you know, dip out the water and pour it out when you want to? The water pots of heaven. Can you pour it on a land where there's a drought? Do you command the lightning to do your bidding? I was just reading about lightning today, just because uh, it's brought up so much in relationship uh, in this book of Job. Lightning hits the earth a hundred times every second. 8.6 million times per day, lightning strikes the earth over three billion times a year, and yet God causes the lightning to strike its mark every time. A single bolt of lightning can heat the surrounding air to 15,000 to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's five times the temperature of the surface of the sun in a lightning bolt. Several hundred million volts in some of the lightning. That's just lightning. God says, can you, can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are. You know, they're just like, they're ready for God's command wherever he wants to send them. Then he goes on and talks about the clouds around the world. Can you count the clouds? Think of all the clouds all around the world. We can't even count the ones right over your head usually. And if you could, that's the context of what Lance was saying, even if you could, that would just show uh, that I put wisdom in the innermost man and given understanding to the mind. You couldn't count anything. You couldn't even count your fingers apart from God giving you wisdom and understanding in the mind to do it. Then he goes from there into the animal kingdom. The lion, do you provide its food? Do you care for the mountain goat when it's in labor? Do you prepare the wilderness for the wild donkey to live in? Can you make the wild ox do your bidding? It's like the picture I get is like, you know, here's this huge zoo, except the zoo is a whole world. 
and God's a zookeeper and he's feeding and taking care of all these animals all at once. Can you do that? Did you give the ostrich its strange habits and instincts? If you think about the thing of instincts and read about some of the things that God has put in the, these little minds, these little brains of animals, it's incredible how they can, the parent can take them somewhere. I mean, they can be born somewhere. The parent leaves them and the bird flies back to where the parent's from. How do they do that? It's because God put it in there, you see. He takes care of them. Instincts. I've got a spider wrinkle there. It's an incredible engineering feat. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't even hardly think it had a brain. And whatever God put in there is just beyond the way. There's so many, so many of those things when you read about them, uh, it, it's just uh, beyond comprehension, really, what God has programmed into those little brains and made it possible for animals to, to do and live the way they do. Did you make the horse so that it would be useful in warfare? Did you teach the, talk, uh, the hawk how to fly? Just thinking flight, flight itself. Did you give the eagle its keen sight and its taste for blood? All those things, that's, that's from God. Only God could do that. Does the eagle mount up at your command? So God just overwhelms Job with question after question like that. And as he concludes this first section, this first round of questions, what would you say if you were, if you were an unbiased grader of the test questions that God had given? Did Job get... 70%, 50%, 20%, or zero. Well, he got zero. He couldn't answer any of them. Therefore, God says to Job, who are you to accuse me of anything? Let him who reproves God answer it. Answer those questions if you're going to be in any position to say something to me about how I do things. Now you remember that Job actually thought at one point that if he could get an audience with God, he would walk in like a prince and say, here's my life and here's the accusations that have been brought up against me and I'm proud to be able to stand here and say, you know, that this is the way I've lived. You remember that? Let's just look to that. Uh, 31, 37. Well, I have to start back at 35. 31, 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. And the indictment which my adversary has written. Surely I will carry it on my shoulder. I will bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. That's what he thought. But he's finding out that's not what happens when you get an audience with God. 
when you come before God, you don't go before him like a prince with an attitude of, I'm here to show you my position, and I know that I can stand here in my righteousness. That's not the case. He realized that's not the way it is when a man is really before God. So Job silenced, puts his hand over his mouth. He admits his insignificance, but God's not done with him because he hasn't got down to the root problem yet. And that's what we're going to see next time. You know, silence is good, but it's not the same as repentance and faith. Silence was good as far as it went, but there's a lot further to go here for Job, and that's why God continues to speak, why God continues to speak to Job. To stop complaining is a step in the right direction, but that's not what was really needed. So God will continue to question Job on an even deeper level, and that begins in chapter 40, verse 6 and goes on to 42, verse 6, which is what we want to look at the next time. 40, verse 6 to 42, verse 6. And uh, I have some more handouts here, which I'll put on the back table, and I hope you either take one of these or get it off the Internet, and then I hope you'll take the time to consider the questions here and read through this next section and meditate upon it so that we can look at it next time and and learn what God would have for us. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank how the psalmist said, When I consider the heavens, the works of thy hands, the moon and stars which thou hast made, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And Job was feeling a little of that here, his insignificance. But we know there's much, much more to living for you than just seeing that. And uh, we pray for each one of us that you would open our eyes more to who you are and who we are and our great need for you. Father, we pray that in any area where we would be uh, doing this thing of darkening counsel with words without wisdom or knowledge, that you'd help us to see that and turn from it. We ask, Lord, that you would instruct us from your word, even as we read these concluding chapters here in Job. Give us insight by thy spirit. We thank you, Lord. We know the the end of your dealings with Job are related to loving kindness and mercy, even in the midst of such great trials. We pray for anyone here tonight in a trying situation. We know if we're not in one now, we will be sometime. We ask that we would 
remember the lessons taught to us here in Job, but even more in the rest of the scriptures. Help us, Father, to trust you even when things don't seem to fit together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.